Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Thank you for joining us this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18 says this, So Ahab sent for all of the children of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, Carmel, Carmel. And Elijah, there's that name. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? In other words, how, how much longer are we going to debate about who's the true God here? Is that Baal or is it the Jehovah, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How long will we falter between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So there's 450 false prophets versus one true prophet. Look at somebody and say, you're not alone. Look at somebody else and tell them the same thing. Therefore, let them give to us two bulls. In other words, Elijah's about to prove that the Lord is God and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut him in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no, no fire under it and prepare the other bull and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And then you call on the name of your God, little G, and I will call on the name of the Lord, big L. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Stay with me. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on Baal, but no one answered. And they called from morning until noon saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God. He's either meditating or he's busy for he is on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah's mocking their God. And so they cried aloud and cut themselves as, as it was their custom with knives and lances until the blood rushed out. Pretty gross. Until the blood rushed out of them, gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. Now here's the reason I'm here. This verse right here. And Elijah, everybody say Elijah, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Look at somebody and say, repair your altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down and Elijah took 12 stones. Now that's important. Remember the 12 stones part, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord 
and he made a trench around a large altar. Envision this, guys. Enough to hold two shears of seed. And when he put the wood on the altar, he cut the bull in pieces and laid the wood on it and said, fill water pots, fill four water pots with water and pour it onto the burnt sacrifice. You hear that? Pour water on somewhere where you're intending there to be a fire. And on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. So it filled the trench with water. And it came to pass in the time of the offering of the evening sacrifices that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God. You are the God of Israel and I am your servant. And that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord that this people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then, everybody say then. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked it up. It licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord is God. To say we are living in difficult times and uncertain times, it's an understatement. As I read stories like Elijah, and there are so many different parallels um, and similarities to what is happening in Elijah's day and our day. There's definitely a connection. He was living in a time where following God wasn't on the top of everybody's priority list. It wasn't on their iPhone notes, nor their Android calendar. I mean, the fact that he was standing on a hill by himself as a prophet of the Lord against 400 to 450 false prophets say a lot about the spiritual climate that he was living in. It was godless. And what stood out to me most of all in this particular scripture Thank you so much. In this particular scripture is that it puts emphasis on the fact that Elijah repaired the broken altar. Now, if you study the history of what was happening in Elijah's day, there was a king and a queen who took over. And this king and this queen was absolutely godless. You've heard even in the secular realm when a girl or a husband, a man cheats with another woman. They say, this, that woman is Jezebel. We use that even in the secular realm. Well, they extract that secular saying from the Bible. There was a woman by the name of Jezebel who was a wicked queen. Her husband was a wicked king. And so what they did in the region of Israel is they went around to all of the churches. They didn't call them churches. They called them temples. And they went and they desecrated and destroyed the altars of God. If you don't think that's very important, we say that God is not made with hands, right? He doesn't dwell in temple made with hands. And that's what the New Testament certainly states. But back in the Old Testament, God did dwell where the altar was. As a matter of fact, it was very close to uh, what they called the tent of meeting. It's where in the wilderness they would go and they would worship God. It was a church on wheels. Really, it didn't have wheels, though. It basically looked like an old Pentecostal tent. Uh, 
with three different compartments. The outer courts where they would slay the lamb or the bull or whatever sacrifice it would be. They would burn it. They would make sacrifices. Then they would go to the inner courts and then the holies and then the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was where the Ark of the Covenant supposedly dwelt. And that's where the glory, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. If you don't think it was powerful, what they would do is they would tie pomegranates and bells to the priest, who was the only one, by the way, who was able to go into this place once a year. And if he had sin on his life, he would die in the presence of the Lord. Look at somebody and say, it was serious. Now, the way that they determined whether or not he was dead or not, because they couldn't go in there or retrieve him, they would tie a rope to him. And as soon as those bells would stop moving, they would begin to pull on the rope and pull him out. And so you have to understand, in Jewish culture, in Israel, the altars were important. But in Elijah's day, he was the only prophet, and you have this witch, really, Jezebel, and this wicked king who desecrated all of these altars. There was no church. There was no services. There was no worship team. And so today I want to speak on a subject entitled, Rebuild the Broken Altar. I want you to look at somebody and say that. Rebuild the Broken Altar. Look at somebody else and say, Rebuild the Broken Altar. You know, there's, super, there's many different symbolic uh, parallels that I think I can extract from this particular portion of Scripture, and I'm going to attempt to do it in about 15 or 20 minutes But I believe that if we were to attempt in our day right now, if you look around, if you just look at the world right now, we too are living in a similar time. Altars are broken down. There are churches, but not a whole lot of altars. And now I'm not knocking other churches. I I speak to this church as well. What I I mean by altars is, is people who decide to rebuild something where God likes to come and dwell. Not every church building consists of the presence of God. Somebody should say amen to that. If we're really being honest, we are doing really great at building clubs. If I can be honest with you, when I first set out, my thought process was, can I be honest this morning? My my thought of success was understanding the scriptures, being able to communicate them to people and getting people to come and praying that they get a relationship with Jesus. And then that's, what, that's how most ministers think that is success. But real success is building something that outlasts you. And the only true thing that outlives us and will outlast us is building a place where God decides to dwell over. And if we're going to get God to move again, because if he did it before, he can do it again. And it's not a matter of God not existing and not being alive or aware of what's going on. The question is, is do we have an altar in our own personal lives for him to dwell? And that's what I want to talk about today. We often talk about revival, and to be quite honest with you, I'm sick of the word. I love the word. I coin it many times. But when I hear that word, I try to think what other people think. Because I drive past billboards that say Revival Weekend. Now, I have studied revival. I understand what happened at the Brownsville Revival back in 1995, and it was historic. I understand what happened in early 1903 to 1906 with the Azusa Street outpouring of the Holy Spirit led by an African-American man with one eye named Seymour. 
and how it wrecked the world. It wrecked the world as we knew it. There were many different movements born out of that. As a matter of fact, it still shakes many circles today. And not to mention the Hebrides revival. And we speak of all these different revivals, but can I tell you that revival consists of much more than a two-day weekend? Revival, let me tell you what revival is not. Is everybody ready? Revival is not a bunch of people who gather on Sunday morning and have a few worship songs, although that's good. And that can be consistent, but that's not revival. It's not a bunch of people coming together and just shouting. It's not any specific time that human efforts can orchestrate in order to get God to move. It's it's not great preaching that gives you goosebumps and enables you to grow in the Lord. Although all those symptoms are glimpses of revival. That is not revival. Can I tell you what revival is? Revival is an awakening that takes place in the human heart that it's like you, you take your first breath for the first time. There is this awestruck moment that you have in God where you see him like you've never seen him before. It's like breathing for the first time. And you will have a keen sense, a keen hunger and an awareness of God that gets you to pursue him like you never have before. When you see a true revival coming, it will not, altar calls will not have to wait till the end of service. There will need to be no preacher to get people to convict them of sin. The Holy Spirit will sovereignly do it in the human heart and he will draw people. If you want to know other symptoms of what revival would look like, we're talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. We're talking about people being healed of more than just a backache or a headache, and all that is great. I'm talking about a sovereign move of God. It will change. It will actually change the spiritual climate of a region. If we decide to build an altar in our lives, God will begin to move. As we first seek his kingdom, he'll establish the kingdom on the earth, and then things will begin to happen all around us. Miracles, signs, wonders, awakenings, real revival. It will bring economic change. If you've ever heard anybody saying that broke makes you holy, they're lying to you. As a matter of fact, when I read the book of Revelation, not everybody is called to be rich, but God does want to bless us. When I read the scriptures, either God is bougie or he, pre- he appreciates economics. Streets of gold, walls of jasper, emerald rainbows. God, holiness does not equal, uh, poverty does not equal holiness. So when God decides to step into something, the economic status will change in our lives. Come on, somebody should say amen to that. There will be no celebrated superstars in this revival. There will be no one-man show in God's revival because God shares his stage with no one. The Bible says that no flesh will glory in his presence. But God will use the man. He will use you. Look at somebody and say, he'll use you to host what it is that he intends to do in the earth. I want to quickly tell you this quick story, not to be laborious. Um, I will shorten it for those of you who've heard it twice. Um, this is the only time I've had this type of encounter in my life. Talking about revival. Five weeks prior to the pandemic, and it's recorded, I, I go to a service on a Sunday evening. My wife normally goes with me. As a matter of fact, we'll probably be going tonight. It's where we go and have church. It's where we go get refreshed. It's where we put our hats on and we go incognito. And... 
you know, we need refreshing too. And so I walk into the service. My wife wasn't able to come. And I am feeling the presence of the Lord in an extraordinary way. And I know one thing, either the presence of the Lord is there for either two reasons. Well, three, either to convict sin. I knew that wasn't the issue. He was, he was either there to work some things into my heart or out of my heart, or he was there to tell me something. And all of a sudden, like a train, like a freight train, I heard these words as clear as I'm talking to you, but they were not audible. He said this, tell my people I'm coming. Five weeks before this pandemic. And I almost discounted it because I thought it was the pizza I had just before going to the service. You know, the Bible says, test the spirits as to whether or not they are of God. So I was like, Lord, is this my conscience? My heart is racing. So I'm feeling the Lord's presence. I know it's him. All of a sudden, within 30 seconds, the worship song shifts into the second coming. The theme surrounded the second coming. And I almost discounted that. I said, Lord, if this is really you, speak again. I lean over the front of my chair. The young lady who was just in front of me, now that I open my eyes, she's up near the pulpit worshiping, and she's got one thing written on the side of the page. There was a perfect shadow cast over her page, and there was these words. Care to guess what it said? Coming. In that moment, I answered the Lord, and he rebuked me sharply. I said, Lord, they know that. And he quickly rebuked me and said, no, they don't. The very next day, my voice was completely gone. I couldn't speak. I didn't understand that. I still don't understand that. So I came to service and almost had to shut the service down. I literally couldn't speak in the mic. So at a whisper, this was recorded. Why am I saying all that? Because what is happening in the world right now is not taking God by any surprise. As a matter of fact, it validates some things. We are on track for revival. We are on track for a worldwide awakening. Just my friends, they called me. I couldn't make it. I was on the coast yesterday. They called me, and there was thousands of people gathered around Lake Eola worshiping. I don't know about you, but I've never seen that many thousands of people gathered in the rain on a Saturday night worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So what this strange thing has released is a fervent hunger and an awakening in the hearts of people that realize God is up to something and about to do something great in the earth in spite of what our eyes see, in spite of difficulty, in spite of what the government is saying. If you'll just turn off the news for one moment and hear what thus saith the Lord is saying, he is saying, tell my people to get ready because I'm coming quickly. Prepare pray. Let's build the altar of the Lord so that God can send the fire like he did on Mount Carmel. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to give you a couple quick points before we close. Time is not on my side this morning. If we're going to first rebuild this altar, there's a few things, four things I believe that we're going to have to do first. And this is exactly what Elijah did. Are you ready? First, we simply have to take a stand. Can you imagine an Elijah's day? I mean, we have a problem, you know, with stepping into a room with some people who we know aren't on the same page political, politically with us, whether it's three or four people. Imagine, imagine the uncomfortableness, if that's a word, that Elijah felt in his own heart when he stepped in as a prophet of the Lord and said, 
I'm going to come against you, and I'm going to prove that God is God above Baal. 450 people he faces. But he took a stand. And let me tell you something. When you decide to take a stand, especially these days, don't think that God's not going to back you up. That may be taking a stand in your marriage. Maybe you have a spouse or a loved one that doesn't necessarily believe the Lord. Listen, here's what standing up does not mean. Getting into Facebook wars. Standing up does not mean getting into political debates. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Come on. Standing up doesn't mean having a riot. It might mean you have a quiet riot. What I mean is the kind of riots us as saints need to be having right now is getting into our prayer closets. Because all these little debates that are happening all on the news and these debates that are happening on Facebook and Instagram, by the time you answer them, they're, they're just waiting for you to say something so that they, you know, they're just waiting to answer you back, right? They, they're, not, they're not hearing or receiving what you're saying. So that's not the way we fight our battles. This is not the way we built our altar. The way a saint builds an altar is we know how to get things done and it's not by arguing. It's not by persuasive words. It's by this old-fashioned word called prayer. Look at somebody and say prayer. This is how we build our altar. This is how we get things done in the spirit. You can get more done by walking in the spirit, walking in love, and having a prayer-like lifestyle than you can in your own abilities, in your own arguments. Ephesians 6 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And having done all to what? Stand. God is calling us as a people to stand in this hour. People didn't have to ask me where I stood. Nobody, there was very rarely anybody asked me why I kept the church doors open or, you know, where I stood on that whole matter. Is there a real virus out there? Yes. Is it what they're making it? I don't know. I got a joke for you. There was this, there was this news cast lady interviewing, um, what are those? Uh, they, are, uh, they have beards. Yes. There was a new ca- newscast lady who was interviewing an Amishman. And she said, why hasn't COVID affected your community? And his response, well, ma'am, we don't have TV. Somebody say stand. Stand. The Bible says we have to stand in this evil day, and we can take a stand by being gentle, by being fervent in spirit, by being prayerful. This is how God uses that as a vehicle to get things done in the earth and in our lives. When I see people walking defeated, the first thing I ask them, do you have a prayer life? We don't talk this kind of talk anymore. We we, we don't want to pay the price in prayer. Do I get up in the morning, and am am, am I excited about praying? No. Anybody who is excited about praying, come see me after service. I need to catch that anointing. I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning necessarily wanting to spend time with the Lord. I want to sleep in. I'm sure you do too. But here's what Jesus understood this, the importance of prayer. This is why the Bible says he withdrew often to pray. What does that mean? He withdrew to go build the altar because he knew he could only be as effective as his prayer life. We don't want to talk like this anymore because it costs us something. But just like I was telling the worship team, the anointing of the Holy Spirit doesn't come cheap. It's not a cheap gospel. He gave everything. So to think his presence is just going to show up, 
without us fervently seeking him, to think he's going to show up in, the, in a form of fire like he did on Mount, Mount Carmel with Elijah is erroneous. God partners with humanity's prayers to accomplish his will on the earth. So my exhortation to you this morning is to be aggressive in prayer towards the enemy, but be gentle with people. Come on, you ought to say amen louder than that. And we are living in unprecedented times that are going to require us to be courageous and are going to require us to do things that we don't normally do. Can I tell you this? Going to church is not enough anymore. Going to a candlelight service or going to an Easter service and think that you can su supply your spirit the type of nourishment it needs in these days is over. God is raising up warriors. He's raising up prayer warriors. He's raising up people who are going to be kingdom-minded. You think this is bad? Just Can you imagine what persecution? And I'm not saying we're being persecuted as the church right now. But look at what happened with this little thing. Can you imagine things being worse? It's time to seek the Lord like we never have before and build an altar so that he can rebuild America. Because if God's going to rebuild America, he starts first with a person, and he starts with a the family, then it goes to the government. Amen? Look at somebody and say, it starts with you. And you know what I'm afraid of? I was thinking about this story early this morning. I got up about 4.30 a.m. I like to spend time with the Lord really early in the morning, particularly on Sundays. And I was thinking about how the disciples were in the garden. And here's what Jesus said. And here's where I believe where we're at. And this is no condemnation message. This is an encouraging message. I hope it is for us to pray, for us to seek the Lord, for us to get back to the basics. Amen? But there was the disciples in the garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus went up to them and said, can you just pray and watch with me for one hour? And Jesus comes back and he's frustrated. And he says, Peter, get up. It's time to pray. Things are happening. Peter falls back asleep. This happens three times. And the third time, Jesus says, look, forget it. My betrayer is at hand. Could you not pray with me one hour? Could you not seek the Lord with me one hour? What, do I, what am I trying to say? is in an hour when Peter should have been up pacing the floor, in an hour when he should have been fervent in spirit and seeking Jesus and seeking God the Father on the behalf of his friend, his master, his king, Jesus, he was sleeping. I am concerned that we have been asleep. This is all that you see in America has been under our nose, but we have been sleeping and one thing that prayer does is it awakens and heightens our spiritual senses. Secondly, we have to begin preparing. Can I go a little longer this morning? Just a little while longer. We have to get busy repairing. Look at somebody and say, begin repairing. Watch what he says. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The only reason America is broken is because the family got broken. The family has been broken. And the only reason the American family has been broken is because our altars have been broken. There have been no altars at home. There can be no uh, uh, altar in our government unless it's in the homes. Because if we're honest with each other, we're the ones who put those in office before. 
And when our spiritual senses aren't awakened by having a relationship, come on, intimacy with God, our discernment is weak and dulled. And so if we're going to see an altar in America, we have to bring it back in our church. We have to bring it back in our home. We have to bring it back in our family. When is the last time? And I don't say this out of condemnation because there are days that go by. I don't do this with my wife and I'm a minister grabbing her hand. Let's pray. Let's pray for the nation. Let's pray for our marriage. Let's pray for the children. When is the last time you read the scriptures to your children and gave them stories that they could grow up telling their children? And we wonder why there's such a moral decline. It's because we have to rebuild what was broken. And there's a fracture in America. And I say this with the utmost respect. The, this old church model that I'm telling you about that I used to be so in love with, so in love with, is fractured and it's dying slowly and it's not sustainable. And this is why we're simply just starting a prayer meeting on the back side of the worship because we know this is not sustainable. We have to add some things. We have to take some things away. We've got to get rid of the one-man show. We have to. It's, it's an all-inclusive thing. That's why Jesus said you're the body of Christ, meaning somebody's a hand. There's a, there's a leg. There's a neck. There's a, an arm over here. None of us are all of him, but all of us are some of him. And we all have to jump in and do our part if we're going to reflect the body of Christ and establish the kingdom here on the earth as it is in heaven. Do you know why they really rejected Jesus? Have you ever really thought about it? It's not because he was just loving and he was a pushover. That wasn't what it was. It's because he, he knew that it was time for a new shift religiously. Are you sensing that? There's a shift. There's this undercurrent that says we can't keep doing church as usual. We, there has to be a change. There has to be a service that looks more like the model of what we've seen in the book of Acts. If we do what the apostles did, we'll get what the apostles got. If we want to see the results that we're seeing in the word of God, we have to get back to the true basics. I'm not talking about living in a cloud. I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand. I'm not saying that. Some people are just weird and not spiritual. You can still be spiritual and be earthly good. But in my opinion, you can be no earthly good until you are spiritually minded. Right? And it will affect every aspect of our lives. Amen? Amen? Jesus knew it was done. He knew the church world, the church infrastructure in his day was dying, and he knew there was a change, and that change would be the establishment of a new kingdom. Somebody say, a new kingdom. And I truly believe that what's happening today, I'm not saying that God caused it, but I am saying that he's using this as an opportunity to establish his kingdom and further it in ways that, we, that are unprecedented. Unprecedented. And now how do we do that? How do we establish the kingdom? Here's what I want you to notice, that Elijah didn't make the altar out of perishable things. You see that? What did I say in the beginning of the service when I read that? Remember the 12 stones? Do you remember that? He took 12 stones in order to build the altar. All, all, our altars are no longer sustainable by good preaching and great preachers. Our altars can no longer be built by worship leaders who sing well. Can I tell you just something? No, no knock against worship leaders. I would rather have somebody who's less vocal, who has less vocals that's anointed, than somebody who's got real vocals who has no altar in their life. Because you can get more done under the anointing of the Holy Spirit than you can in your own ability and your own giftings. 
One minute in the presence of the Lord. I've heard people, oh, hallelujah. They should keep it in the shower. You know, we sing in the shower. But I've heard people who have really great vocals, it was a gift, it wasn't anointed. And when you get somebody who knows how to lead you into the anointing, that's when real change and transformation takes place. God has done with superstar Christianity. He's wanting something real. He's wanting something authentic. And you're sensing it in your own heart. We want to see God among us. We don't want this, this old wineskin anymore. But you know what has to die is the old wineskin. If we're going to put new wine, we have to get new wineskin, new infrastructure. Amen? Listen, and, and here, here's, the, here's the key thing. Elijah used stones. Everybody say stones. He didn't use perishable things. Now, what do stones represent? Mark chapter 12, verse 10. You, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builder has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Our services can no longer be built on man's ability. It has to be upon Jesus only. Jesus only. Look at somebody and say, Jesus only. He shares his glory with no one. There's only room for him on this stage or on this equal ground. And that was one reason we didn't build a stage here. We had a big grand one, 70 foot long at our last building, 5,000 square feet. I know it's hard to believe, but this time I said, we're not building a stage because God doesn't dwell on stages. It's all equal ground. It's not that we don't esteem ministers. It's not that we don't esteem people. But one thing I have found out, our altars are no longer burning and we have to do something new. We have to do something new. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, we have to do something new. No longer can we build our church and our organization on finding my purpose, and that's great. I know, I know they've been in church for a long time because that's what I grew up. That's what I grew up hearing, and that's, and that's, a, that's a great thing. Finding your purpose, it sounds great. Find your purpose. Come, come to Jesus. You're going to find your purpose. Come to Jesus. You're going to grow in your giftings. It sounds great. It sounds holy, but not everything that sounds holy is holy. Come to Jesus, and you're going to discover your destiny. Come to Jesus, and you're going to get blessed. Checks are going to come in the mail, and I believe in all of that. Come to Jesus, and you're going to find true peace and fulfillment. But can I tell you something? Most people worship the bridge instead of the bridge itself. Y'all ain't talking to me this morning. I'm talking about don't, don't worship what he can do for you when you get in his presence because once you get him, you get all those things. Once you get Jesus, he's the bridge. And guess what? He leads to himself. Those things are okay. I'm not saying they're wrong. Finding your purpose, finding your destiny, finding your calling, it's all good. But if they lead you just to the thing and not instead of who's the most important thing, it's all worthless. And that's when Paul came to that place in his life and his ministry. He said, all these things I count as dung that I might gain him. Build the altar. We have to build the altar. We have to do it differently, guys. Don't get me wrong. I sought all those things only to find out they were mirages. And guess what? Now I have all those things. And can I tell you, apart from Jesus, all those things leave me empty. 
Because when you get him, you get everything. Lastly, I'm not done, but I'm done. If we're going to truly build our altars, it's going to take sacrifice. That's what the altar was all about. It was the place of sacrifice. These days, people want Jesus, but they don't want to sacrifice. There's a price to follow him. I coin it all the time, and I just, I, it's every time I hear this, and I, I was listening to it before I even walked into the green room in the back this morning, it was Catherine Coleman. She's talking about the cost. And she said, if you really want to know the price, it costs everything. But it's worth the cost. But these days, people don't want to sacrifice. But the disciples knew. Just ask Peter, who got crucified. Historians say Josephus, he was a writer. It wasn't in the Bible, but there was a writer who was recording what was happening in those days. Ask him about sacrifice. He said, I'm not worthy to be hung like my Lord. Hang me upside down. Just ask Daniel about sacrifice, who got thrown in the lion's den for standing up for his faith. Ask the apostle Paul, who got killed by a guillotine because of sacrifice. Ask the earlier followers who sung as they were being led on fire and running through the streets by Nero. We're talking about sacrifice. And if you think something like that can't touch America, I'm talking about sacrifice. Ask those who suffered in prison as they were chained in stocks because they shared Jesus Christ because they had hope in heaven. Jesus does not do well. Remember, if anything you remember on this point, Jesus does not do well with less than all. And there's something about when we withhold from him, it's not that he withholds from us, but we can't have all of him unless he has all of us. If we're giving room to these other things, other pleasures, pleasures aren't wrong, but he has to be the first. He has to be the preeminent one. He has to be our Rose of Sharon, our bridge over troubled waters, our friend that sticks closer than a brother, our bright and morning star. He has to be our everything. Stand to your feet. David understood sacrifice. Somebody say David. He understood sacrifice. Here's what David did. He goes to King David, went to a king named Orana, and he goes to this land, and he says, I want to worship the Lord. And he needed cows. He needed things to sacrifice. He needed the altar. He needed, he needed to build the altar in order to sacrifice and worship the Lord. So he goes to this king, this ruler, and the king says to, says to David, I'm going to supply all these things for you. I'm going to give it all to you. Don't worry about it. No cost. And here's what David said. Far be it from me. I will not give to the Lord what costs me nothing. If you want all of him, if you want to build the altar, you have to give yourself all of him. Because guess what sacrifice he's looking for? 
you, me, all of ourselves, our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole spirit, laying it all on the altar until we come to the place that Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he came to this place and he said this, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me as a ransom. The only reason he wants all of us on the altar is because he gave all of himself. And we'll never understand him fully until we give all of ourselves. God has so designed it that until we give ourselves fully, we'll never truly know him. For 15 years, I had walked with the Lord. I read my Bible. I went to church, lived a fairly holy lifestyle after I got saved, right? Didn't run with the bad crew, didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't run with them who do. I didn't do any of that. And I didn't know him. You can walk with people who do. You can go to church. You can read your Bible and miss him. For 15 years, I missed him. In the past three years, the only time I begin to get to know him is when he be I begin to say yes to the sacrifices he was asking me to make. What is he asking you to make this morning? Because I'm going to tell you, once you truly sacrifice for him and build that altar in your life, then you have the authority like Elijah did. And I close with this. You can call down fire and fire will show up. That's what he did. I believe we've done at church, good at church and organization fairly well. I mean, as globally as a church. Like we've kind of built the altar structurally, right? But no fire has showed up. You know what I believe? I believe our hearts need to be readjusted. Not just you, but me. And I believe that when we position ourselves in this manner, I believe the fire is going to fall. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.